0: Daughter Claire Marie was little. Um, when we got in the car to go on a trip, she'd be in the back seat, and she almost always, even before we got out of the driveway, sometimes she would say, Daddy, tell me a history story. And she always said it just that way, Daddy, tell me a history story. And it probably does not surprise most of you here that Steve was ready. He could tell a history story at the drop of the hat, and so he would launch into some story about the depression. Era, or the Civil Rights Movement, or World War II. Sometimes he would tell a story about uh, Clamorie's grandfather, his dad. His journalistic exploits. He was a journalist in, the, in in Atlanta during the Civil Rights Era. And so, 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 Steve would launch in, and Clamorie learned so many things sitting in the back seat of those, of that car um, during those trips. Clamorie and Steve were perfect for each other in that way. She loved to hear his stories. And he loved to tell those stories. And um, and I can tell you that she is the woman she is today who knows politics, who knows history, because of those stories. And those stories were perfect for me, too. Perfect for me. Because about 30 seconds in, I was comatose. <laughs> Completely out. And would be until we got to wherever we were going or we stopped for lunch. So we you know it was win-win-win for me. But here's the point. The story matters. The story matters. It's why God told the Israelites to rehearse their history around a meal, year after year after year. And and they still do it, even to this day. They are coming to the end of their Passover week, even now. And so they won't forget how he rescued them from Egypt. How the Lord passed over the houses of their ancestors uh, that night when he shopped, Egypt into letting these people go. So they wouldn't forget God instructed the Israelites to set aside a whole week every year, and it would begin with this Passover meal, where the youngest one at the table would ask the oldest, what makes this night different from all other nights? And with that question, they would launch into the epic story of being delivered from generations of slavery by the very hand of God. So when we come to high holy days like this with us, when we come to Resurrection Sunday, we, we come in that same spirit to rehearse the story, to rehearse our history. What makes today different from all the other days? It was on this Resurrection Day that we were delivered from the power of sin and death by the very hand of God. Come on. Christianity rests on the power of three spiritual mysteries, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. You can't separate one from the other without losing the power of all three. Without the crucifixion, we've said this before. Jesus is a great teacher, but his life has no more power to transform yours than a great motivational speaker. Without the resurrection, Jesus was a brave martyr, but he would have no more power to deliver you from death than your insurance agent. Paul tells us this in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, that without these two things, crucifixion and resurrection, we got nothing. The crucifixion is what Jesus' whole life was pointed toward. He was the Passover. Having lived a life without sin, a perfect example of humanity, Jesus carried his cross up on a hill and he laid himself down. One last sacrifice for all time. He who knew no sin accepted responsibility for all sin. Accepted responsibility for all of us. They nailed him to a cross he hung there until he died. And while he was dying, they challenged him, and they derided him, and they deserted him, and grieved him, and rejected everything he stood for. Which is to say, that if you've been through it, whatever it is, Jesus has been through it with you. I hope you can hear that hope. Especially in this last year, if you have felt alone... You've not been alone. So they nailed him to a cross and he hungered. And when the sky turned dark, a curtain in the temple was mysteriously torn in two, and Jesus stopped breathing. A rich man named Joseph, who'd been following Jesus from afar, he took the body, he claimed responsibility for the body, and he laid it in a tomb, with another guy, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who had suspected there was more of this than just a good guy, helped Joseph bury the body on a Friday before, uh, before sunset, and that's where the body of Jesus was left, lifelessly, while somehow, mysteriously, his spirit traveled through darkness and did battle with evil. That's why I'm partial to that line from the Apostles' Creed, the one we just read, he descended to the dead. Because I believe somewhere, I I believe, this is a truth, (laughs) somewhere between sunset Friday and sunrise on Sunday, Jesus drove a stake deep into the ground of enemy territory and reclaimed what had been stolen from God. And from that moment on, Death is no longer the last word over humanity, and sin is no longer our legacy. Hallelujah. So what makes this day different from all the other days? On this day, you were delivered from the power of sin and death by the right hand of God. Come on, to get Now you are invited into the feast. The body of Christ was broken through the blood of Christ was you. Today we receive these communion elements. This is your Easter feast. You receive them as the family at the resurrection child of the resurrection. And this is not just a good visual or a, or a captivating story. This is history, friends. People witnessed these things. Mary Magdalene was the first one to see the resurrected Christ. Early in the morning on that first Sunday, she went to the tomb she found it empty. It was confusing and overwhelming to her, and so she stood there crying and two angels appeared, and, and they asked her what I think is the most profound question. I mean, you need to take this question and wrestle with it. And they asked her, why do you look to the living among the dead? That's a powerful question. Why do you look to the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. She's invited in that moment into a total reorientation of worldview. Think. Resurrectionally. And then Jesus showed up and called her by name. Mary. And she reached through and he said, Oh, don't touch me yet, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go and tell my brothers, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So ascension is the third piece of the resurrection puzzle. Crucifixion, resurrection, ascension which we almost never talk about, but which is such an important chapter in the story. The ascension is what we feed off of as followers of Jesus. All the promises of forgiveness and salvation hinge on Jesus being in the spiritual realm, in the flesh, on our behalf, right now. It was with the ascension that God created a portal for His power. He brokered a spiritual transaction. Jesus ascended, guaranteeing that our bodies would have a place in the new creation. You understand that, right? When you die, you do not become Casper the Friendly Ghost. You get a body that is just like your body, only it is not perishable. And the Holy Spirit descended, in that equation, guaranteeing our spiritual and productive participation in the welcome and advance of the kingdom of God. You get empowered. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I am ascending to your Father and my Father, to your God and my God. So Mary ran and found the others and she preached what would become the first sermon ever preached on the resurrection of Jesus. She said, I have seen the Lord. Thank you very much, Wilma. And that takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-8, where Paul would expound on that witness. He told us, Jesus also appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and to everyone who was in the upper room, which was more than the 12 people. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And so just by those accounts of the people who actually witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, they, they tell me they estimate at least 600 people saw him. And Paul says that more than half of those people, many of those, are still alive as he is writing this account of the resurrection to the Corinthian church. There were witnesses to this resurrection power. After the ascension, after the ascension, Jesus also appeared to Paul. Before Paul was even a believer. And I have to tell you, I have seen that happen. Just about this time last year, when someone in my office who had no faith when she walked into that office. And somehow, I didn't see Jesus, but she saw Jesus. He came, and he came into my office, spoke to her, and when she came out of that prayer, she was a believer. It wasn't just a prayer, it was an encounter. And, I, and she was at the service this morning, and she said, that moment, that day, changed my life. Everything, I see everything different. I'll tell you all this to say, it still happens me still happens. So what happened to Paul? He encountered the resurrected Christ and it caused him to begin to think resurrectionally. I got that from, my stole it from N.T. Wright, but it's a good one, isn't it? Think resurrectionally. He became obsessed with the hope of the resurrection. He would tell the Philippian church, how want to know that Christ? To experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, and I will suffer with him and share in his death if somehow it means I get to experience his resurrection power. Resurrection revolutionizes reality. Listen to Paul struggling put into words, this other way of seeing the world that that has been revealed to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You need to underline that. Listen, he says, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must, I want you to circle that word must, the perishable must close itself with the imperishable. mortal with immortality. For the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, Paul says, and the power of sin is the law. In other words, the power of sin is you trying so hard in your perfectionistic fallen self to get it right on your own sting. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to explain the unexplainable. He tells us something radical here about our bodies and about our lives and about life itself, that all we are and all we see only makes sense, only lives when it is swallowed up in the truth of the resurrection. The perishables including your life, your mortal body, gain their value only as they are swallowed up in resurrection life. What do you think about what it can mean to your life if you live now like that's true? As if the imperishables are what gives life to the perishables? I don't want to slide too quickly past that point, But you know what? We spend a lot of time and effort on our perishments. We place a lot of value in house, car, food, clothes, computer, phone, health, all perishable. All perishable. As best I understand it, part of the reason we never really feel fulfilled in this life and why we try so hard to fill the void with things is a the of our lives. We assume we can fill the void ourselves but the void can be filled with perishables. I want you to stop and hear that statement. It, 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 it's, it's so obvious when we say it that way. So we can acknowledge that this, this impossibility, the void, cannot be permanently filled with a perishable. The void cannot be permanently filled with the perishable. No wonder we stay so frustrated and empty while we search Amazon looking for the next new thing or spend our Saturdays walking through rubbish sales and car lots or whatever it is. A lot of our frustration in this world is a misdiagnosis of our lives. So what What are the imperishables? Look at verse forty-two. Paul spells it out. Chapter fifteen, verse forty-two. He says, "So, so, so, we with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is in, is perishable. Me. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised." in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That is Paul telling us how to think resurrectionally. So it will be with the resurrection, he says. Perishables will become imperishable. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are Buried as natural bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. They are buried in weakness, but they are raised in strength. And this is not some future tense, oh, and the sweet by and by kind of truth, because right now some of you are buried in your weakness. Some of you are buried in brokenness right now. It's a tremendous, present tense hope. And these three lines take us all the way Through the story, buried in brokenness, raised in glory, buried in weakness, raised in strength, buried as mortals, raised in the spiritual life, which is to say, listen to this, friends, listen. But right here, Paul is giving us this generous invitation to press into the crucified flesh of Jesus everything that is perishable, everything that breeds death that will eventually die. With the assurance that Jesus will carry all those things with him all the way through to life in a way that doesn't breed shame or loss or death, but that breeds freedom. Isn't that important? I want you write this question down. Do what things in my life need to be pressed into the flesh of Jesus? What things in my life need to be Pressed into the flesh of Jesus. Well, let me ask you this way. What in my life is buried in brokenness? Where am I allowing weakness to bury me? In what ways am I allowing the physical to overwhelm the spiritual? But what things need to die? What am I dragging around when the best thing I could do for myself is press it into the flesh? Jesus, the Listen, the principle of the resurrection says that if I will press the things that bring death into the flesh of the crucified Jesus, then when He is resurrected and He heals, when He stands up again and He heals, I stand up again too. I can be resurrected The resurrection invites us, listen, resurrection invites us to stand up inside the power of God. Even if I found myself in a valley, even if I found myself spiritually poor again, stuck again, idolizing again, going around that same tired mountain again, come on. Looking for a physical fix to a spiritual problem. So much, why do you look for living among the dead? Even if I'm there again, the crucifixion invites me to press my tired dead again into the flesh of Jesus where I can, so so I can, stand up again inside the power of the resurrection. And try and do just what Paul did, trying so hard to. To words. to the answer to what is surely the biggest question we all have. So What does the resurrection mean for me right now? I am sure that your quiet times are a personal daily revival, that you always get up from there. Of the Holy Spirit and amazed by the power of God, every single morning. I know that's you. Mine, on the other hand, can be all over the place. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not a crier in front of it, but in front of Jesus, oh Lord, it's different.
1: I will lay it all out there for Him. I will cry and I will wallow.
0: And so many days I come to my time with Jesus in the morning, like I'm about God, and I just, please, Jesus, give me something. Not a bad thing, it's just stop So a couple of weeks ago, I was in my regular weekly daily readings. I, I had this prayer time with God. I was, I was you know, kind of like, give me a word. I, I'm, I'm to a word. I'm crying out to you for a word. i crying out to you for a word. Then I come, you know, open up my Bible, to do my regular readings. Usually it's four chapters in four different places that i the reading that day was First Corinthians to 12. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to read all the way through from 12 to the end of the Corinthians. So I can get a, a running start at 1 Corinthians 15. I've been in it for a while since that was the Easter message. And, and uh, but I wanted a running start. I wanted to be on the runway and read all of 15 all the way through one more time. All my emotions right here. Remember, this is not it wasn't for an assignment. This was just me in my morning quiet time begging for a word from the Lord. Unless I read it again. I hadn't noticed before until I got this time, this, this reading, The 1 Corinthians chapter 15 begins and ends with the standard. Look at the first couple of verses. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I happen like that version in when I'm talking about this. He said, let me now remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed again, and you still stand firm in it. Underline it. stand firm in it. it is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. That sentence can actually also be translated, unless you never believed it in the first place. That's how chapter 15 begins. Stand firm in this. And it. And then look at chapter 15, verse 58. All the way at the end. It says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and ammovable, or as it says in the end Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. There it is. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain can you ever do for the Lord ever listen to this? So I read these two. This whole chapter, these two bookings that day. The told between them, verses 3 through 57, is glorious apologetic on the, record on the resurrection. And I, I don't know, I, don't know. I wrote it in my journal as it came to me. I got a word from the Lord, and I want to share it with you. Here's what I heard. I heard this. You will keep standing. And you know what will hold you up? The resurrection. It is the resurrection that keeps you upright. The resurrection, which literally means stand up. That's what it means in the Greek. Resurrection is your strength, and your answer, and your comfort, and your strategy, and it is what you'll walk in and walk toward. It is resurrection power that holds you upright, so you will keep standing, Carolyn, cause resurrection. It's like God was saying to me that morning, Carolyn, you need to go through that same transformation Paul went through. And through that same transformation, Mary went through. And Peter and the hundreds of others who first saw Him. Whose lives then took a radical turn turn toward the Kingdom of God. You need to think resurrectionally. Not horizontally, not vertically, but resurrectionally. And enfolded by it, enveloped by it. 360 degrees in every direction. Enfolded by the resurrection, you're in my arm. I stood before the Lord that morning, and I said, "I have no idea what you're talking about, God. I have no idea what it means to to stand because resurrection. We're well, seeing resurrection." But I said to God, this is one of those truths that works itself out as I work it in. And I'm here to tell you today, in my broken, weak, all-too mortal flesh, that I want to make today different from all the other days. I want to walk in the resurrection and let the resurrection have its power in me. I could feel it all of a sudden, what Paul said when he said, I want to know what it feels like to, to, to cling to the power of that Christ, to know the resurrection He experienced and to somehow experience that life. I want to walk in the resurrection and let it have its way in me. And I will trust, this is me praying, my God and my Master, that as I walk in resurrection power, I will stand believing that just as surely as death has been swallowed up in victory, I also will be swallowed up in victory. All my broken places, all my weak places, all my way to mortal places, swallowed up in the resurrection. Because listen, if Jesus has swallowed up death, and everything less than that has also been swallowed up. And that's what makes today different from all the other days. And how is the resurrection of Jesus your hope for what Jesus has swallowed up death. And if Jesus has swallowed up everything that is less than death, then... Are you willing to bring to him all your perishables, your broken, weak, mortal perishables, and place them under his resurrection wattage? The <laughs> dead swallowed up in his victory, every everything that feels, This is Adderbush this in his journal. He wrote, I greatly long to be small up in the world. I greatly long to be in the world. I want to invite you to that I want invite you resurrection, to cultivate a longing, to be lost in the middle world, because friends, I genuinely want to be swallowed up in God, to be swallowed up by this life is what I want for you because it is a beautiful life, this life, this resurrection life, truly swallowed up is a beautiful life. To be swallowed up in His goodness and mercy and trust and love. just doesn't get any better than that. I want you to be swallowed up by Him today if you are fighting the enemy or his demons. I want you to be swallowed up in Him today if you are struggling against your own disobedience or doubt. I want you to be swallowed up in the word of God all of the life, see this life inside of Christ the life you were meant to thanks for taking the time to listen to our message if you live in the area and are looking for a church home we'd love to see you visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information may God bless your day